I'd love to, again, I'd love to give you the, you can tell you they're all the same. No, no you're the head, head coach, coach and, and, um, and your rank is certainly, certainly something we're something proud, proud of, of but not satisfied, satisfied with, but I'll look at it more as it's the next, the next step. step. And, and credit, credit the players and the people in this program, the, you know, two years ago at this time, a two-win team that being ranked in the top 25 was the furthest thing from anybody's mind to now less than two years later uh, to be ranked in the top top 25 to me is just a, a, a sign that and, and another statement that we're headed in, in the right direction and a credit. All right. That's Shane Beamer at the Tuesday press conference this week following South Carolina's first ranking, uh, top 25 ranking of the Shane Beamer era, and first time being ranked since 2018. 18. Right? Yep. Yeah. Um, so coming off their first four-game winning streak since 2013, lots of firsts happening this season. Broke the first, you know, broke the streak against Texas A&M, first win over them. Uh, anyway, this is the GamecockScoop.com podcast. I'm uh, Caleb Alexander. I almost forgot my name. Wow. Uh, joined by Alan Cole. And it's been one of those days. Um, anyway. <laughs> we're also a rolling start here. Yeah, it's going great. Um, we're going to preview the Missouri matchup this weekend. It's a home homecoming matchup uh between South Carolina and the Missouri Tigers it's a little scary I think I think most people that have been following South Carolina for a little while are used to following up success with falling on their face um so there's a little bit of that anxiety there um South Carolina is favored although the line has moved a little bit and we'll talk about all that but as always let's get started with a little bit of recruiting talk um, tomorrow morning, I'll have my weekly recruiting wrap up or tomorrow sometime. It kind of moves around on Fridays, but it's, it's posted on Fridays, um, on gamecockscoop.com and that'll have the whole full visitors list, at least as of Friday, um, for Missouri, a couple other news and notes from a recruiting front, but I did want to talk about last week's visitors, especially the 2023 visitors. Although, go back and look at my visitors list on the weekly recruiting wrap-up last week because 2024, the 2024 class list of visitors was insane. Um, like, one of the best collections of talent that I can think of that's all been on campus at the same time. Um, so, you know, if South Carolina can continue to make inroads with that list of 2024 guys over the next year, look out. And, and we've really been targeting that class as maybe the – the big class that steps forward, although this one's not quite done. So you have, you still have five-star Nicholas Harbor out there, which nothing really new to report there. Still feel pretty good about where South Carolina is sitting. Um, he's set to visit LSU in December, and then probably we'll hear a little bit more on what's next from there. Um, but last weekend, you had three, uh, well, two visit, uh, the possible flip candidates. So you had Terrence, Terrence Love out of Auburn. He's a four-star DB. I uh, actually sat down and talked to him on Monday or Tuesday. That's on GamecockScoop.com. You can go check that out. Had some interesting things to say. Um, currently, it sounds like he's still pretty committed to Auburn, and, and obviously the Brian Harson era may be coming to an end sooner than later at Auburn. Um, so I really, when I, when I sat down to talk to him, I was curious just how much of an impact that's going to make if he were to get fired. 
It sounds like just because Harson gets fired, that doesn't necessarily mean Love's automatically going to jump ship. But I would currently classify South Carolina as like the top backup option. Um, and we'll kind of have to see what moves Auburn makes as far as their next coach in line, how quickly um, he can kind of warm up to some of those guys like Love and other people that may potentially start looking around. Um, but South Carolina's put themselves in good position if, if Love doesn't like what he sees from whatever's next. And that's kind of what he told me was like, he's not, not, not committed <laughs> to Auburn, um, but he wants to be pragmatic about it and have um, backup options if necessary, which I think, you know, I respect that. I would probably want, I would probably tell my, you know, teenage son this, to do the same thing. Um, another big um, potential flip candidate was, Khalifa Keith, running back. He is committed to Kentucky right now. He was on campus. Haven't heard a ton um, out of him yet. I'm still trying to, to track him down. Uh, but that's kind of an intriguing one. He could potentially be like a thunder to Dontavious Don Braswell's lightning, um, so to speak. He's a little bit more of a bruiser, whereas Braswell is a speedy guy um, out of Georgia. So we'll keep that in mind. And then the other big news that a lot of South Carolina fans have been waiting on um, was what South Carolina is planning to do with the 2023 quarterback class. So after Dylan Lonegar Lonergan uh, committed to Alabama, um, South Carolina led in that one for a really long time. Uh, there was some rumbling about maybe Reno, who was in the 2024 class, reclassifying that seems to have mostly gone by the wayside at this point. Although we'll let you know if anything changes there. Um, and yeah, they really didn't have any other offers out there. And a lot of people in state were like, well, there's this guy down in South Florence, Lenora Sellers, who's committed to Syracuse. And, you know, he's visited campus regardless of being committed to Syracuse several times. Like what's going on with him? Um, he's kind of a dual threat guy. Uh, really, his his stock has risen a lot lately around the country. Um, I know that like Georgia is sniffing around a little bit, um, North Carolina, and then he already had you know six or seven offers before that. Anyway, South Carolina finally pulled the trigger this past week on offering Lenora Sellers, and I broke down with Adam Friedman from Rivals uh, National on whether or not. He's ultimately going to flip from Syracuse to South Carolina. And I said fact, but it was like the like loosest fact ever. You know, like I'm, I'm forced into saying either fact or fiction. And I didn't want to say fiction because there are a lot of things working in South Carolina's favor. But it is possible, maybe bordering on probable, that South Carolina waited a little bit too long here. Um I, I'm kind of surprised they waited as long as they did, honestly. Um, so we'll have to see. I mean, Syracuse is obviously – he's been committed there since March. Syracuse has obviously made it apparent that he is their number one priority, and South Carolina kind of dragged their feet on making him their number one priority. Um, so it just it, – it depends on how much ground the staff can make up and how much staying in state matters to him. Um, so that will be an interesting one to watch. Uh, but I don't have a good feel one way or the other yet. I do know um, that he was set to take a visit to Syracuse this coming weekend that he's not taking. 
Haven't been able to confirm if that means he's coming to South Carolina for uh, the Missouri game. I'll try to let you know by tomorrow on that. Um, but yeah, interesting one to watch. And the last recruiting note is on the basketball side. Cam Scott was on campus for an official visit from everything that I've been able to hear. I talked to him a little bit right after uh, everything went really well. And then Alan, which we're going to talk a little bit more about this in a minute, went to the Garnet and Black uh, basketball event yesterday um, and confirmed that Cam Scott was actually on campus for that too, which short drive from Lexington. Um, so even though he took his official visit this past weekend, I would expect probably see him around campus a lot more throughout the basketball season anytime they can get him in. Um, so we'll keep you posted on that one. That one's a huge recruit, five-star uh, in-state guy, and can go pretty much anywhere that he wants. I would say Duke might be the biggest um, threat at the moment. Oh, you know, just Duke, whatever. Just Duke. Just Duke. That's all. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But, you know, South Carolina is in good position, and, and it definitely helps, like I said, that you can get them on campus for a Tuesday or Wednesday night uh, Garnet and Black event, too. So, um, all right, let's, that's all I got for recruiting right now. Again, check out the weekly recruiting wrap up tomorrow and I'll have lots more, uh, including the visitors list for Missouri. I'm sure there's going to be a lot more fun, uh, <coughs> recruits on campus for homecoming should be another great environment. So they right, still saw it every game this year, except the hurricane move one. Yeah. So five out of six sellouts and, um, perhaps that one would have been, that was SE state. Yep. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's get into this matchup with Missouri. So uh, we've already had a ton of stuff on GamecocksGroup.com starting to break down the game. Yesterday, I went on the PowerMizzou.com podcast and talked with those guys a little bit about the game and then had um, one of their staff writers uh, kind of give their perspective on the game, which I posted on GamecocksGroup.com dot com this morning um and basically it seems like I, we've said this for the past three weeks but these two teams are sort of mirrors of each other in a lot of ways have struggled a bit on offense um played pretty well on defense and missouri seems to be in this trend other than getting blown out by kansas state where they just keep it close they they ugly up games they haven't won very many games but they've been kind of sneaking around uh, right there in several. Of course, they had the heartbreaking loss to Auburn, uh, had a near loss to Vanderbilt last week, but they got a big win. Um, kind of threw away a game, uh, a big game, that they could have won against Georgia, which, of course, would have completely changed the narrative here. Um, so, yeah, what's your, what's your initial feels on this one, Alan? Yeah, I think you hit the term ugly right on the head. This is going to get ugly. Uh, if you read my preview on the website tomorrow or Saturday morning, I kind of wrote a little bit about that too. Um, Missouri likes dragging opponents into the mud. They're going to slow the pace down. Um, they're going to make you dink and dunk. Um, I know they gave up an 80-yard touchdown on a screen last week, but other than that, they really are not giving up a ton of explosive plays this year. That was very much an outlier play against Vanderbilt. Um, defense is good situationally, which I think is important. They're Great in the red zone. They forced, I think, 11 field goal attempts already in the red zone was the number I came up with. The number I saw earlier this week, it's in the, it's in the article, whatever the final number is. Um, they're really good on third downs. They're ninth in the country and second in the SEC 
I think only behind a Georgia in third down defense. Um, this is going to be a difficult matchup, uh, especially defensively for South Carolina's offense. And I think the term trap game is the one I've seen thrown around. And it definitely, definitely is a trap game. Yeah, and you know, you hope some some of that's mitigated by being in front of a sellout crowd at home <laughs> can kind of smooth over some of those rough edges. But yeah, I, I think this is going to be a low scoring, ugly game. Um, Missouri also has some talent on special teams. I believe their kick, re- their lead kick returner, turner, um, is averaging even more yards than Josh Van or Xavier. Save it get. Yep. Yeah. Um, and Luther Burton does the punts, I think. That's the um five star recruit out of St. Louis. He was the number one rated receiver in last year's class, decided to stay home. And he's he's actually not their leading receiver right now. We can get into that too. Um, but he's still a big part of that offense and on special teams too. Yeah, the thing I was struck by while I was talking to the guys over at Power Mizzou was they're having some similar frustrations uh, where they feel like they should be performing better on offense than they are as far as the talent um, on the field. Um, one thing that's notable, though, is they don't have the running back talent that they that's that South Carolina has kind of been plagued by the past few years. Tyler Beatty ran all over uh, South Carolina last year. Um, they've really been struggling on the offensive line. They had a several transfers after last year. So an offensive line that sort of bullied South Carolina's defensive line at times um, is not nearly as good. And I think it's been obvious to see that South Carolina's defensive line has taken a step forward this year. So that'll be an interesting thing to to watch in this one too. Yeah, and we've kind of heard that from some guys this week about Zach Pickens' leadership. Um, and last week, although they weren't getting sacks, they ended up with six against Kentucky, none against A&M. They, uh, they had a lot of pressure last week. They were, I think Clayton White used the term, we remember how the quarterbacks feel at the end of the game, or how we, we remember how they feel when they're walking off. And he mentioned that, yeah, um, Connor Wegman, or I guess Haynes King, got hurt, and Connor Wegman too. They weren't feeling good when they were walking off the field last week. They were... They had guys in their face all night. Um, obviously, that ended up winning the game for South Carolina. Bam Martin Scott in the last play got some pressure on that Hail Mary attempt. Um, it's, it's kind of the same deal. Of course, you'd like to finish sacks. You'd like to turn the pressure rate into sacks, I guess. Um, but this is not a Missouri offense that's super equipped, A, to play from behind. I know we said that last week about AM, but it was true. Um, or B, to get behind the chains as much so yeah a, a sack or two here could be crucial um and i do think they might be due maybe for a couple like last week was regression back to the mean they might be due again yeah i mean they had i don't remember the exact number but they had an, an insane amount of pressures i want to say it was almost like 30 something if you count like hurries and hits on the quarterback and and all this stuff combined um which is wild I would, like um so i think sacks are a little bit overrated it was obvious that the that the defensive front and the pass rush um affected that game throughout it even though they didn't in the box score have the actual sacks um i did just see we had a comment on youtube from tygonda gilmore thanks for commenting it says safkan has got to go pass heavy against missouri um, that's something that we've kind of been talking about in the the group chat throughout the week as well is like, what is the strategy here? Because it actually does seem like um, there could be some truth to that. But South Carolina's best offensive showings have been when they've just sort of leaned on the run game and, and let that set up the pass. And you would think that that would be the strategy in general if you're just trying to like 
find your identity, which is something we talked about a lot earlier in the season, and then just like impose that identity regardless of the opponent. But if you're looking at the matchups, it is possible um, that this is more of a Spencer Rattler game. The last two games, something that we talked about is um, the secondaries not play as much man-to-man, whereas Missouri will blitz and, and play some man-to-man. So you could get some one-on-one matchups, and it'll be interesting to see if they do try to exploit that, if they you try to in, impose the run which has been successful through the first or the last few weeks. I guess my question with that, we appreciate the comment. Um, we do. What is, what does a passing game look like for South Carolina at this point? I mean, we've seen, I don't know, go back to the Charlotte game, I guess four games in a row now. Yeah. Um, running is the identity. The offense is tilted towards running. I wrote a little bit about red zone running this week in my stats piece. They ran the ball on 13 out of 15 plays in the red zone, which is a crazy split really when you think about it. Um, is that deep balls? Is that kind of like the intermediate sideline stuff we've seen Spencer Rattler do pretty well? Is that maybe getting Josh Van on some more crossers? I know that he got one of those on a big third down last week. What is a game where Spencer Rattler throws the ball 30 times even look like at this point? I'm not really sure. Well, and even though you will get some one-on-one situations in this one, I think um, the the folks over at Power Mizzou at least were saying that the secondary was a strong point of – Missouri's defense, which I haven't like watched enough Missouri film to verify that one way or another, but I'm, I'm trusting those guys. They seem like they know what they're talking about. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting. I don't know that you, I, I think it would have to be downfield passing um, because you want to take advantage of those one-on-one matchups with your best guy, say Antoine Wells or Jaheim Bell or whatever, um, just beating his man um i don't i don't know that you are going to get it done just dinking and dunking although you know we've seen some success in the screen i game think you're going to have to those missouri's kept the lid on the big plays most of the year i've got all the numbers in my piece going on the website later in the week but again really they've kept they're not giving up a lot of pass plays that are beyond about you know 30 40 yards other than it was a screen pass that kind of they missed some tackles and busted against vanderbilt last week but they're they don't allow a lot of that. I think it's kind of more the intermediate stuff they're going to have to make work this week. Um, if you're South Carolina, and I don't know what that exactly means for Marcus Satterfield, but I'm interested to find out. And how do you feel about Marshawn Lloyd's chances against this run defense? I mean, they've, they've been pretty solid in the run D. I actually, I, I kind of think we're getting to the point with Marshawn Lloyd where we're close to he's going to get his yards no matter what territory. You know, all the stuff we said about Chris Rodriguez and definite chain the last two weeks. Um, I think you can almost say that about Lloyd, the way he's playing. Um, but I kind of say the same thing. I don't expect pops. I don't expect explosive plays in the running game, really, against this Missouri defense. I think it's going to have to be an efficient running game, more a down-to-down thing. And that might, it kind of goes against what we're talking about, but that might mean being stubborn with it. Yeah, I mean, they're, if you're thinking of Missouri of the last two years or whatever, just throw that out because they're definitely the most improved team in the SEC on defense, I would say. Um, and like you said, they're going to make you earn it. Um, and outside of that big fourth quarter drive against Texas A&M and a big field goal drive uh, against Kentucky, um, both of those were eight-plus plays. Um, South Carolina has not proven to, to consistently be able to move it down the field. You know, they've gotten some big plays in special teams. They've gotten some turnovers on defense that give given them short fields. Uh, but when they actually have to drive the length of the field, they've really struggled with that. 
Um, so naturally, if that trend continues, I think we're like a low scoring game because I don't I don't think Missouri's offense matches up very well against South Carolina's defense either. Yeah, before we get to that, just one other stat thing. Um, this is in the article, but I was going to pull it up now. You look at the Georgia game, which I think most people would say was probably Missouri's best performance of the year, even in a loss. They held, they were leading Georgia for 56 minutes of that game. They lost 26-22. Georgia had six scoring drives, two touchdowns, four field goals. Those were 6, 7, 8, 10, 11, and 16 plays. Um, and for the year, Missouri's at seven and a half plays of scoring drive allowed. Basically, on average, if you're going to score Missouri, see if it's going to take about seven and a half plays. Um, like I said, they don't give up the explosive play. This is going to have to be a patient game for Marcus Satterfield, I think. And I, I understand that scares South Carolina fans, and it kind of should. Um, but this is not going to be a quick strike offense game. It just won't be. Yeah. Um, I also think you have to clean up the mistakes. So as much as we've been sort of praising the special teams and it's very easy to overlook some of these things when you get a win against a team you've never beaten before. Um, everyone's super elated. And one of the key point, points of that win was a special teams play to start the game. Um, but they've also been a little shaky lately. Uh, I don't know what's going on with the the PAT team, but they've had two blocked um, throughout the year so far, and including a big one last week that really could have been very bad had... Um, it was Tonka Hemingway. That Tonka was, Hemingway, um, yeah, yeah, not, made, not made that yep. stop because uh, then you're looking at a one-possession game there. But um, So you got to clean up those mistakes, um, even though the special teams has been a difference maker in the positive direction as well. And then uh, on offense, it's gotten a little bit better, but you're still, you still had some bad turnovers here and there. Um, Spencer Rattler with some fumbles and um, – Cleaned up the interceptions a little bit. Pretty clean game last week. Um, but you got to continue to do that and, and force some turnovers on the defensive side. Yeah, and if you want to kind of flip a coin here to talk about Missouri's offense against South Carolina's defense, um, like you said, Missouri's offense has struggled a lot. Um, they went up 17-0 on Vanderbilt last week and kind of put it in park the rest of the game. They needed the defense to pull it out 17-14. Um, they've had trouble finishing drives, too. I mean, what got them in that Georgia game was they kicked five field goals. Um including one from a first and goal to one where they didn't punch it in. Um, yeah, this is this this does set up well for South Carolina's defense. I think it, it, this is a game where a guy like Cam Smith is really kind of relishing it. Um, I don't know if he's going to be matched up with Burden or with um, Dominic Love. Um, is it Lovett? Yeah, Dominic Lovett is Missouri's other um, kind of big receiver. Uh, either way, I think these corners are kind of set up for fun to watch, but also possibly successful one-on-one matchups. Um, and I do think South Carolina can reasonably stop the run. I mean, Missouri's running game is definitely not better than the one they saw the last two weeks that they mostly kept under wraps. Yeah, that's something that uh, Power Mizzou talked to, to me about um, on their podcast, too, was, was Darius Rush in particular, and that's someone that I feel like we haven't talked enough about. Um, it's so easy to talk about Cam Smith. He's a future first-rounder. I actually saw PFF College rated him the number one uh, secondary yep. player today, uh, like if the draft were to happen today. And, yeah, most teams are avoiding him at all costs. Um, I know that he's had some, like, defensive holding, pass interference issues, whatever. Some of those were real ticky-tacky last week, in my opinion. Um, 
and more just like the inconsistency because it felt like they got caught against South Carolina, didn't get caught against AM. But I'm not here to complain about the refs, whatever. So yeah, he's had his he's had his struggles with flags, uh, deserved or not. But most most teams are avoiding him nine times out of ten. And that's putting a lot of pressure on Darius Rush. And Darius Rush has stepped up in a major way uh when teams are attacking him, including that huge interception to kind of get some momentum rolling early in that game or keep the momentum rolling early in that game last week. Um, I did just want to note that I think he's up to the challenge uh, if they do try to test him again. Uh, I'm interested to see, like, I don't know the, I I said this also uh, on that podcast, but I don't know that um, Missouri's quarterback is necessarily equipped to challenge the safeties, but at some point you still got two freshman safeties back there. They're playing very well. Uh, but at some point, if you play a team that can take some deep shots, um, which the last two weeks has have, has not been the case with backup quarterbacks and all the the madness that's been going on there, um, I think they're they're probably still going to show some freshman moments before the season's out and, and get burned a couple more times. So that'll be interesting to see too. Yeah, that 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 is kind of where this scares you a little bit. You look at you know kind of Missouri. You've got Lovett's got a seventy nine yarder this year. Burden obviously has that huge explosive potential. You know he's a five star. He's got that. He's got crazy speed. Um, yeah, this is especially in a game like this where it's we expect it to be low scoring. We expect possessions to be limited. Um, yeah, a deep ball, a coverage bust, whatever that might be enough to tip things here. If you're talking about a one possession game and one where the offense is the South Carolina offense is going to have its share of struggles, and I also kind of think it, it does. You said it in the start, kind of mirror South Carolina needs to force Missouri to kind of dink and dunk and go slowly here. Um, and just keep a lid on explosive plays. Not to go too far off topic here, but there was one particular. Uh, press conference quote or note this week that I really wanted to hit on. And, and you talking about the offensive struggles there at the end kind of reminded me again of it. What do we think? <laughs> again, is this, a controversy, this is a Satterfield thing. Um, can't, I, I, South Carolina is probably, I mean, probably let's pump the brakes. Things could fall apart, whatever. Um, probably going to win seven, eight, nine if you're dreaming games this year right either way probably going to be noted as an improvement over last year can you hold on to this guy (laughs) that seems to be very very inconsistent and and the note that i'm talking about in the the press conference was someone basically asked like how do you get jaheim bell the ball more because you know he's this explosive athlete that um, is a difference maker and is having a. That's actually very, not what I thought you were going to say. That's interesting. Ho, ho hum season. Um, and Satterfield said basically something like, "I would get the ball a thousand times to him if it was up to me." And I was kind of like, <laughs> it is? "Isn't it up to you?" <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't know. To me, like I know, like that's hyper analyzing a, a silly quote, whatever. Um, but to me, that is kind of like a microcosm of what I think South Carolina fans frustrations with Satterfield is it's not that the offense isn't better than last year. It is just statistically look at it more points per game, all that fun stuff, but there just is so, so much inconsistency and there, there continues to be, and I don't care what the system is. I, people can complain about the pro style or, you know, whatever it is. Maybe, maybe it would be more exciting if you're spreading it out, whatever. 
any system can work, but the whole point of offense is the ball and the hands of your best players. At least they have been doing that with Lloyd, although he had to be reminded of that at halftime or whatever against Texas A&M. Um, but I still think you're underutilizing guys like Jaheim Bell, Josh Van. I mean, you're hyper-targeting Antoine Wells, and, and that's worked out pretty well for you, but it, it still seems like um, the offense has yet to live up to its potential, and I don't know that we can expect that against this defense this week either. All right, so that's actually not the Satterfield court I thought you were going to go to. There's been another one that's been getting a lot of, I don't know what you call it, run, controversy, just talking about whatever. And that was the one where he kind of got asked two, I'm pulling it up now, but he kind of got asked two questions at the same time that were sort of contradictory, and he just answered no. Like he gave a one-word answer and everyone's been trying to figure out, oh, which one is which one is he saying no to? Do you know what I'm talking about? As I put I, up here, I, I, I missed that. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. So this was actually um, right off the top. Someone asked um, if the first ten plays change by field position, and then it was like, um, oh, shoot, it was do they change by field position and do. Uh, so, so the, the criticism, this is bad course, audio. I, oh, you're good. I, while you're looking for it, I'll, the, the criticism, of course, being that he's like too married to the script or the, or the worry is that he's too married to the script. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I'm, I, I see one part of it. Um, it's basically, it was wondering if it was a question about the script. And then it was another question about if the script changes based on down and distance and where they are on the field. And the reference there is, Hey, you had the ball first and goal at the five for your first three offensive plays. And it seemed like you were calling plays that would have been scripted after a touchback at your own 25, which yeah, I almost mentioned that earlier too, when you were talking about how the percentages of run to pass in the red zone have shifted more towards run, uh, which has been successful, but I was that's including uh, no, a they, failed those drive the two times that was the only passes. the only two times the entire game they were they passed the ball in the red zone were those two plays. Every other play in the red zone was a run after that. No, it's basically Satterfield just said no. And people are like, okay, is that a no about his script not changing, or is that a no about him not changing what he does at the five yard line or at different parts of the field? And yeah, it's been which, like it's a pruder film, watch it back, see what he means. Which I, uh, <laughs> that's hilarious. I, uh, I do think, you know, Satterfield's a smart guy. I'm not, he knows more about football than me. You don't get to that level unless you do. Um, but I do, you know, last year there was plenty of excuses placed on the fact that you had rotating four quarterbacks. I'm not saying Spencer Rattler has been perfect. We've had our own criticisms of him. Um, but at some point, I think you got to stop excusing uh, the struggles on just the quarterback and sort of own it. Um, and, you know, South Carolina is winning, so that helps cover it up. And I don't want to focus too much on it because South Carolina is winning. Let's have a happy week. Um, but it does seem like more of the same over the first seven games of the season, uh, to me at least. Yeah, and one other Satterfield note, as long as we're talking about his presser, um, I asked him about the halftime conversation he had with Beamer, um, and he said, excuse me, it was one of those things where it was like, hey, don't worry about the plays, just get the ball to the players, as in that's what Beamer told him. 
Um, which isn't really a bombshell. That's kind of what Beamer said he told him, but it's still interesting to hear it from Satterfield himself. Yeah, and but that goes back to kind of what I was just saying. Like, I don't care so much about his scheme or, or whatever. It may be beautiful on paper. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure it is. Like, he's a smart guy. Uh, but at the end of the day, the point on offense is to get the ball in your best playmaker's hands. And over the course of yeah, you know, however many games he's coached now, what twenty? Uh, I'm not seeing that consistently. Um, and it and the frustrating thing is it, it seems like even when he does find something, which we we saw uh, with Marshawn Lloyd over that three game stretch leading into Texas A and M, um, he still has to be reminded that that's the thing that was working. I I, I don't know, whatever. Uh, not going to get too far down that rabbit hole. We'll see. Maybe, maybe they score forty on Saturday, and then I'll shut up. Boy, putting up forty on this Missouri defense—that'd be something. That'd give us a lot to talk about. When we're back here Sunday. Um, all right, let's kind of transition to putting your money where your mouth is. Um, what uh, what's your prediction here? What do you think is going to happen? All right, I've got a score prediction in that you guys can see either again either tomorrow or Saturday. Um, it is twenty to sixteen, South Carolina. Um, again, I think low scoring. I think ugly. I think you're going to get turnovers on both sides, which I know people don't want to hear. And Beamer's kind of talked about too, but I do think the Missouri defense is probably too good. And this offense is too turnover prone for that not to happen. Um, just, it's going to be ugly. Just prepare yourself. This is not going to look good. If probably if you're either team, but really if you're a South Carolina fan, that's our audience, this is not going to look fun. You're not going to have a good time, but I do think South Carolina is going to find a way to win this game. Yeah, so that would have them pushing the current spread, which is at four to open at five. I guess I got to make a decision then for my weekly picks. Um, I also have a push right now. I have them 17 to 13, so even uglier. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I see this being a fourth quarter game away, um, and there's going to be some, some fingernail biting, I think, in this one uh, pretty much about – you know, maybe they get off to another fast start in front of a home crowd and can just ride that momentum wave. It's well, also kind of hard thing, to though. tell. Sorry, go ahead. No, it's just you're not going to score in the first 15 seconds every week. You're just not. So at what point At what point do you actually have to get into a football game like without that positive game script and see how things go? Yeah, I mean, you can't discount it, but like South Carolina scored 17 points with a – 17 of their 31 or 30 30 last week the Uh, first five and a half minutes in the first five and a half minutes and and it's a a, uh kickoff return for touchdown so offense has nothing to do with that one a interception returned down to the five that the offense gets zero yards on uh but you get a field goal out of and a fumble return that the offense drove what 25 it was 19 yards Yeah. yeah um so Good job punching it in there, but still 19-yard drive. Um, Other than that, you scored 13 points with, like, legitimate drives. Um, Now, also, that takes your offense off the field whenever you do all of that, and, you know, there's things to consider and all of that. But let's not – even though the the points per game have gone up uh, this season – and I'm back on the offense again, but even though the points are game for a game, I have gone up this season. If you like look at the way that these games have gone, it's kind of misleading a little bit. Anyway, uh, 
So you're I saying a win? Not 17-13. I'm saying a win. South Carolina's okay. going to win, but 17-13, nail-biter, not going to be fun. You're saying a win, too, 20-16? to 16. Yeah. Yeah, and again, like I said, South Carolina fans have been in this position several times where you get this momentum going. South Carolina's ranked for the first time since 2018. Uh, you have this huge opportunity. It's homecoming. You're at home. And in the past, sometimes you've fallen on your face. Uh, so I think a lot of this might be stemming from that anxiety. And if you come out and play a complete game and beat them by 20 points, some of those demons will be exercised. Either way, though, you get a win here. You you, you got to feel happy going into Nashville. Vanderbilt, yep. For sure. And again, at that point, I know it's not the goal for this team. Beamer made a point about how he would hate for the last two weeks to be the high point, which he's correct. If you are South Carolina, you don't want beating AM for the first time to be your ceiling for the season, but that's more eligible. And that that was in A in question before the year. We weren't sure if they'd get to six. And now you'd be at six with a month to spare. You got a chance to go higher. That that gets you to a bowl game if next time you win. And that could be Saturday. Definitely. Um Quick transition to our national conversation. Does Texas A&M make a bowl? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, uh, they are having a bit of a rough week after losing to South Carolina. So apparently, allegedly, I can't remember who reported this, and I haven't fact-checked it. So if, I, if this is just internet rumor, my bad. But um, some of the players were smoking weed before the game uh, in the locker room, and they got suspended. And then a couple other players are transferring, including the punter. Um, you know, there's there's definitely bad vibes around the Aggies program right now. And, you know, I, I listen to a lot of, like, national uh, analysts and, and podcasts or whatever, like, praising this giant number one of all time recruiting class. Uh, you know, you had Saban talking about how they were basically buying players allegedly whatever um and i do wonder in this nil era era um because some teams are just gonna be able to you know write whatever paycheck they want and get five stars across the board or whatever but i do wonder from a personality standpoint the players that are just looking for the highest bidder when things start to go south, are they also going to be the ones that start to look elsewhere? Is there going to, you know, are we going to have a big transfer storm out of Texas A&M after this year if things continue to to struggle? And is that something that we're going to see? And then maybe I don't know. Do people start to reassess their NIL strategy strategy from there? Maybe it's not just about the money. The only thing I'd say about that is coaches have been doing that for a hundred years. They just jump when things go south. That's how Jimbo Fisher got to AM. He jumped when things started tailing in Tallahassee um, just before they could fire him. And AM gave him, wow, that's a lot of money. Every time I look at it, $95 million. Um, well, you're, you're seeing some of the same struggles, right? The offensive yeah, you line are. is dead. No, he's, he's <laughs> Gene Chizik. He's, he's Chizik. He caught one year lightning in a bottle. His Cam Newton was Jameis Winston for a year. Um, and you're seeing this is what it looked like if Auburn had kept Gene Chizik around for 10 years. And yeah, and locked themselves in because it's going to be tough for I mean, I know A&M's got money, but they at least give them another year or two right before you. Yeah, I think you have to. to think I mean, paying that buyout. I, I I think you have to. I mean, they're three and four right now. They're getting back to your original point. They are 
playing Ole Miss Saturday night. Um, At home. They got to win. Yeah, in, in College Station. They got to win three out of their last five to make a bowl. Um, they used to have UMass. You pick up a win there. You're basically talking about splitting against Ole Miss, Florida, Auburn, and LSU, which they can. They're talented yeah. enough to split those four games. Yeah, but are you they going to think that they can that? win two of yeah two of those four? But oof, yeah, I mean they could also lose all four of those games. They do catch three out of those four at home. The only road game in that stretch is at Auburn. Um, but also, would you be surprised if Auburn weirdly punched up for a week and beat them at home? No, I won't be surprised if Auburn wins this week at home. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. We got that on our, we got that on our picks card too. Auburn and Arkansas. Um, do we have that on the card? I think we did. I don't know, but uh, you know, on paper, that seems like one that Arkansas should win. Although, is KJ Jefferson back? I'm not yes, even sure. Is. Okay, so that seems like one that uh, Arkansas should win. But weird things happen to Jordan Hare, and so yeah, th- they haven't quit. That's one thing that you can give That's, yeah uh, Brian Arson credit for. Like Auburn keeps showing up and, and playing. All right, let's no, go were, through some national yeah. games. I did want to, I, I did want to hit on that Texas A&M thing. It's funny because uh, South Carolina, especially in sort of downish years, does have a history of getting uh, coaches fired. Now it doesn't sound like Jimbo's going to get fired or anything, but it definitely started. Seems like they started a little bit of a downward spiral. We'll see if they can stop it this weekend. Um, but I remember back. I mean, South Carolina got well, much not fired um, on like their seven and. Five 2014 year, whatever. Yeah, we'll have shit fired a couple times. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Um, and I believe they got Phil Fulmer fired. Like they, they have this history of like teams expecting to beat South Carolina and then not, and you know the wheels fall off. Um, all right, let's look at some of these national games. So you got Ohio State, Penn State as the highest ranked matchup of the weekend um ohio state currently i have them minus 15 and a half and that line has moved in ohio state's direction because i think it was like 14 and a half this morning when i looked um what are you thinking on that one it's at penn state so i don't i'm not talking myself into big game penn state they went to michigan they got flattened that game wasn't even as close as the score because they had um a defensive touchdown in there on kind of a weird play I think Ohio State's the best team in the country. I know they're ranked two right now. I know people sometimes don't take things outside the SEC seriously, but I think that's the most complete team in the country. I think they're going to go there and pop Penn State. I do have Ohio State winning. It is a lot of points. It's a lot of points. I feel like Penn State isn't as bad as they played against Michigan. Um I think I'm going to pick them to cover, but Ohio State to win. It's at home. It's early, sleepy game. You know, maybe Ohio State takes a second to wake up. I'm going to go with uh, Ohio State, but Penn State plus the points. Um, you got Notre Dame at Syracuse. I don't know if that's one of our picks, but I'm just kind of intrigued. Sheet. Intrigued on how Syracuse is going to bounce back after that tough win against Clemson where they, I mean, let's be honest, they blew it. Um Sat on the ball too much, you know. Whatever. The ball, Sean Tucker. They should yeah. win. Uh, yeah. I said it last week. If they do it this week, they should beat Notre Dame. Um, that that's kind of we're not we're not a Syracuse podcast. We don't have to litigate their play calling, but get the ball to Tucker more. Yeah. So they're currently minus two and a half. I think I would pick them to cover. I think that I did one too. At, at, at home, at home. Um, Oklahoma, Iowa State. 
it's kind of interesting. So you got four and three Oklahoma versus three and four Iowa State at Iowa State. Oklahoma currently favored by one. So basically a pick them. Was that even on our sheet? I don't remember. Um, it might not be. Just I, I'm just looking at the ones that I'm most interested yeah, in. I haven't, I haven't picked um, mine for the sheet yet. Um, I feel like Iowa State's got to win a close game eventually. They've had so many one-score losses. Um, yeah, I'll say Iowa State. Uh, that feels like a go either way, and I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I think I'm taking Oklahoma because I just can't believe that they're actually as bad as they've been <laughs> showing. I feel like at some point they're going to piece it together. There's too right. much talent on that team, but maybe they are. Maybe they are. Um, all right, here's a fun one, I think, uh, mostly just from a point spread perspective. Obviously, everyone's going to pick Georgia, but you got the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, which I just learned is not called that anymore. Um, yes, it is. You can call it whatever you want. Well, yeah, we, we're not we supposed to call it that, that but <laughs> we can it call is. it that. But apparently, they are like uh, they were trying to dissociate themselves from the alcohol connotation. Which I'm like, Meh, it's college football. You'll be alright. It's Jacksonville. I mean, anybody who's ever been to that game knows what that looks like. <laughs> yeah, everyone stay safe out there. But it's yeah. the world's largest out there outdoor cocktail party. Um, anyway, Georgia is favored by 22 and a half. That's a lot of points. That's too many. Uh, I picked Florida I, to cover on the sheet. I picked Florida to cover. Um, man, it would be really fun and chaotic if Florida somehow uglied up to this, ugly up this game and got the win. Um, same way I feel about Tennessee and Kentucky. Um, I wish Florida and Kentucky would win just to make the chaos of the SEC East reign, uh, and make us start to look into all these tiebreaker scenarios and <laughs> all that fun stuff. But I don't think it's going to happen. I think both Tennessee and Georgia are going to win, but I also think probably both don't cover. So the, the Tennessee line right now is minus 12 at home versus Kentucky, but they have Georgia next week. This feels like a look ahead spot to me. Yeah. I think I ended up picking Tennessee to cover um, Georgia, not to cover. That could be a late cover. I think they could win that game. Like, 38 24 but the last touchdown comes with two minutes left to put the game away um yeah it's interesting to see, i'm interested to see if chris rodriguez can keep the pace slow can keep kentucky winning the time of possession battle um keep that tennessee offense off the field um and then to see what kentucky's defense can do if anybody can do anything with tennessee's defense we still haven't seen it um well yeah that's that's the strategy right like alabama tried to play tennessee's game and they ultimately lost, but they just were like, all right, we're getting a shootout. Let's go. Well, <laughs> and, they have Young, you can do that. Say, you have the former Heisman winner. So yeah, you should do that. Um, but I think the, everyone else's strategy, including Kentucky's this week is try your best to hold on for dear life on defense and hold the ball as much as you can uh, in the run game. Um, so yeah, that'll, that'll be interesting. We got, H man on YouTube, he says Georgia will get up for this game just too much for Florida to handle. I might have yeah, that whenever like, there's definitely a scenario there where Georgia's defense just comes out and eats them and they just sit on this game like 35 to 10 and they cover that 22 and a half. I could see that. I know. Yeah. I mean, it felt like Georgia kind of hit that little middle of the season lull where they were playing down a little bit. Maybe this is their bounce back. Like, all right. but you said look ahead for Tennessee. I don't think it is as much for Georgia because it's hard to look past this game. This game means a lot to that program, but yeah. I mean, it's definitely the biggest defensive test that they will, Tennessee meaning. Uh, so yeah, maybe they are thinking a little bit 
ahead of that one. I hope they're both fun games because this week uh, kind of sucks. I mean, on paper, it kind of sucks. But in years past, those those weeks that are um, seemingly boring. It's, it's a Saturday of college football. Stuff. I'm not complaining. No, yeah. And, and honestly, I feel like the most chaos reigns whenever we think that it's going to be a boring week. Um, looking at some other ranked matchups, you got number seven, Illinois at Nebraska, Illinois favored by seven and a half. That feels low I'll to me. Ride the Perry McCarty train for as long as I can. Yeah. yeah Illinois might win that division. Uh, they should at this point. Should, I don't know. Yeah. Like if they're, they're undefeated in conference. Oh, they're three and one. They lost. I forgot they lost to Indiana. Um, yeah. Why not? Let's, uh, let's go with Bert. You got another ranked. Uh, matchup with Oklahoma State and K-State. K-State favored by one and a half at home. I picked K-State, but I haven't looked at the status of Adrian Martinez, and I probably should have done that because I know he got hurt in that game against TCU last week. Um, yeah. Kansas State last was brought heard, TCU out before, um, before he got hurt. Last I heard, he's very questionable, but the backup who also came in against CCU and looked pretty good until he got knocked out uh, is set to play. So I do think they'll still get some stuff done on offense. I think regardless. Kansas State wins that game then if they're healthy at quarterback. Um, the, that's pretty much all I have yeah. on my list. You got Michigan, Michigan State, but nah. I mean, that feels like an afterthought. <sighs> you know. I don't know. Squirrely things have happened in that game. Northwestern Iowa over under opened at 31 and a half. <laughs> 31 and a half. No way. That's where it opened. It's at like 37 now, but that's where uh, it was yeah, the longest opening number in the history of like consistent recording over unders. Yeah. You have to smash that over. That's like a, what? 17 to 15 game. Do you have to way. though with Iowa and Northwestern's off? Do you? I mean, I get it, but like, just saying <laughs> you, you can't neither, neither team's going to get to 20. I don't know. Maybe not. Uh, I don't know. I have We're not going to actually talk about that. <laughs> yeah, it's happened before. Um, did you want to hit some basketball stuff, some men's basketball before we get out of here? Yeah, definitely. So um, as I mentioned at the top of the show, when we were talking recruiting in Cam Scott, um, yesterday, South Carolina had its official like tip-off for the season with the Garnet and Black Madness, which is the first annual right Garnet and Black Madness, yep. as far as I know. Um, so a new thing that Lamont Paris and staff and – the athletic department is is trying to do um what was the crap it was open to the public right what was it the was like it was people show up? i'm try to put a number on it they kind of shepherded everybody into three sections on one side um like three sections around center court on the side away from the scorers table so i think those sections were close to full i don't know how many people three sections see plus there was a behind one of the baselines there was some banquet for the gamecock club with the boosters and all that and so a few hundred, I don't know if it got to a thousand, but there were three sections, mostly full and some people wearing nice suits and dresses behind the baseline. Cool. Um, I saw you posted like the stat line. It sounded like Michi Johnson had a good game in the scrimmage. And we kind of both talked about how that's going to be essential if South Carolina is going to uh, surprise people. If those of you that missed it as, at SEC Media Days last week, the media picked them to finish last in the SEC, so 14th. Um, but yeah, if they're going to somehow, you know, exceed 
those expectations, I think that starts with obviously Gigi Jackson playing well, but even if he plays well, he can't do it by himself. Um, having Michi Johnson, who it sounds like he was creating his own shot as well as, you know, playing the point pretty well. That's going to be essential. Yeah. So last night, if those of you missed the updates or I got some takeaways coming on the website soon, they played a 20 minute running clock scrimmage, which ended up being like 15 minutes of basketball with a couple timeouts and fouls in there. Um, and then they did a three point contest and a dunk contest. Um, the 50, 15, 20 minute basketball, whatever. Um, I don't know what you take from it. It was pretty much almost no contact, but uh, Michi Johnson did lead all scores. He had 11. Um, he was hit three threes. He was kind of stepping into it. We got Lamont for, I don't know, five, six minutes after it. Um, he was talking about how Michi Johnson is a true point guard. Like not everybody in 2022 who's listed as a point guard kind of has those traits beyond just bringing the ball up the court, but he, facilitates the offense. He can step into shots. He can create shots. He um, gets others involved. I was pretty impressed with him last night. Um, that was probably my biggest takeaway from the well, whatever you could. A couple weeks ago, we talked about how he was a you know former four-star, went to Ohio State, and a lot of his game was based around the fact that he was this explosive athlete, and then he got injured. And it's possible that you know, he's over that injury and, and has that explosiveness back. I mean, he was one of the guys that was featured in the dunk contest. So that's a pretty good sign that he's he's got most of his explosiveness back. He finished second, right? I don't know. Yeah, Gigi Jackson won that. Um, that was fun. He's got some good moves. I mean, that's – I mean, it's Gigi Jackson. Of course, you're going to get some good stuff there. Um, yeah, yeah it was got- a good event. It was it was a nice chill. I've got videos on my Twitter, by the way, and I think you retweeted them too with the official account, but Alan uh, underscore Cole, I've got videos of most of the dunks from last night. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Definitely go check those out. Um, I know Juju Jackson did like a between the legs, uh, one-handed sort of. Dunk, yeah, it was pretty cool. Was really cool. It was a fun um, little energy, energy thing. It was a good to get out there and see people and they're, they're exhibitioning against Mars Hill next Wednesday, which I believe is also open to the public. Right. Um, and so, yeah, we'll at Gamecock Scoop keep you updated on that. We are going to have some some crazy weeks coming up here as as basketball going because you're the only person that's in Colombia. I'll have some coverage um, from my couch, as always, too. Um, and we'll make sure that all of those games are covered in full. Uh, I also know you went to one of the baseball scrimmages this week. Any short takeaways from that? Not really. They play pretty quick. I know they're going again this weekend, and I think their fall World Series, whatever, is next week. Um, not a whole lot there. I've kind of seen what I need to see there with fall, but once they tell us, there's, I'm still waiting. To, I'm still hoping we're going to hear from Kingston before fall's over, but we'll see. Yeah, and of course, we're still waiting to hear how serious that Roman Kimball injury was that you yeah. mentioned a couple weeks ago, um, where he just left the mound with In the, the trainer, yeah. but non-contact, all that sort of stuff. So we'll, we'll see, see how that went. Um, and then what you, there was a pitcher you were excited about freshman pitcher. Um, Jersen Beck. Yeah. He was the highest rated recruit who got to campus. Um, he's his off speed stuff looked really good. That was, that was last week. I was thinking of the scrimmage this week. Yeah. He pitched uh, three innings last week. He got all nine batters. He faced out, I think four strikeouts. froze up there for a second but yeah that's so that's really exciting i mean that's something that they're gonna have to depend on they had a ton of injuries at pitcher last year obviously um and they're gonna need that and you know they've struggled over the past couple years offensively so 
uh, as much uh, defensive help as you can get is going to be and hoping that you you get some improvement on the offensive side. Um, oh, hey, you're back. You froze for a second. Great. I think that about covers everything in Gamecock land this week. Um, I think we're good here. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So we will have all of your coverage leading up to the game on GamecockScoop.com in the next coming days. Like I said, I'll also have some more recruiting information for you tomorrow. And then on Saturday at 4 p.m., if you are watching from home, hop on over to GamecockScoop.com. Alan and I will be in the live thread giving our thoughts and observations, and we'll have some follow-up after that. We'll be back here on Sunday to talk post-game and uh, hopefully a win, even though it may be as ugly as we said. Um, see you later, Gamecocks.